You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to the Alouettes Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, we're getting ready for a preseason. Oh, wait. No, we're not. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, we've only been a week deep into No, we're not even into camp. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was looking forward to rookie camp, man. Rookie <sighs> camp and... Rookie camp, spending the entire long weekend yeah. at training camp. Uh, like... check off any number of boxes i mean it's yeah this is this was our our time this is the time that we were looking forward to the most of of anything else i mean yeah actual regular season football is fantastic but i mean it's just the getting there just to be able to finally say yes the players are back in town they're getting ready we're about to see who's gonna finally make it on this team who's gonna you know how, how do we separate the pretenders from the contenders so to speak you know like who who is going to crack this alouettes lineup and become a part of the 2020 team yeah it and it makes me wonder with all the players that you and i have been hyping as of you know the last couple of months and stuff like that you know again it goes to what i was thinking of are they actually gonna get a fair share you know a, a fair shake and it's interesting to hear some of the stuff that's coming out you know with the the recent uh the recent talk from the cfl and the commissioner and stuff like that but First and foremost, I, I thought I, I was surprised I I didn't get a a, a a Victoria Day picture like I did of you uh, just staring off into the uh, into the, into the abyss. Oh, I couldn't top that, dude. That was a great photo. I, <laughs> yeah, all, all I could say was like, same, same. I mean, it was just <laughs> very well done, folks. If you haven't had a chance to see it, go over to the Yellowwoods Flight Tech account uh, or go to Tim's Twitter account. Uh, just a a very soulful photo and at the same time kind of bittersweet because yeah it's just a, a grim reminder that yeah I, I mean we're all of us cfl football loving fans are supposed to be in the in the midst of training camp and we're we're not and that's the thing like it's it it's it's, it's tough to describe i mean it's just the fact that we should be there watching these guys watching them get ready and planning for preseason games which should have in a perfect world would have been getting underway this week mm-hmm. but alas uh, we're not we're we're still at home we're still trying to stay safe we're still trying to do everything we can to flatten the curve and it's just yeah it, it, it's it, it's just a, a very bitter pill to swallow for us yeah and we'll talk about a little bit more about what the cfl has brought up and stuff like that um but we did have it's an interview that, that we have done with uh, a gentleman who has been the voice, the voice of, of, of wow, I guess we could say of English sports, English radio sports here. Does that make sense? English sports radio. Sorry. There we go. In Montreal. And it was an absolute honor to speak with him because we, we were able to learn a lot about his career and stuff like that. And uh, who are we talking about? We're talking about the Rick Moffat, uh, mm-hmm. for, formerly of CJD and uh, a TSN 690. But he was nice enough to, to join us and, and talk. And we'll get that in a couple of minutes. And then, again, once I said, once we're, we're done, we'll talk about a little bit more what the CFL has, has talked about. Uh, but just a little fun thing I want to talk about here, Cliff. Um, I'm sure you saw, you know, what I think when people look for 
when they look for memorabilia from their team, sometimes they want to try to find that that certain something that may be a very that may be a rarity. You know, to say that you know, you have one of X amount. You know, it's something that wasn't actually that wasn't. You know, most people don't actually own itself. And and I came across this originally it was on Facebook. Uh, I think the Facebook Marketplace because uh, I didn't even think think that I needed this. And they, that's how today's <laughs> that's how today's buy and selling works. It's like you don't think you need it until you actually see it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I came across this thing on Facebook Messenger originally, and then it, it had been sold. Sorry, Facebook um, Marketplace, and it had been sold. And then I happened to do a search, and, you know, the internet that it is, I happened to find it. Uh, I was able to find what I thought was, and I would, I would call it a, a pretty rare item itself, but the 1987 Montreal Alouette's uh, Media Guide. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I mean, I don't know if you would think that'd be a rare item itself, but I mean, what people need to remember is that it's, I would think it would be very strange for a team to have a media guide, considering that they did not make it to the regular season, you know, because usually I think, I don't know how quick they were to put, able to put those things together, like they do with the ones that we have these days, because usually they wait for the, for the camp rosters and then they go from there. But then again, the Owls one is so, so huge anyways. I, I'm sure like, like many of the other teams in the CFL that have such a storied history. But I said, oh, cool. You know, I'll be able to see what they had and its schedule, the original schedule and stuff like that before they see if I have to change because with the Owls only going through the, two, through the two preseason games and then folding and then all hell broke loose in the, in the CFL in 1987, basically. <laughs> um, you know, because, you know, a lot of people thought that this team was just a giant cluster. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, look, I get, get it in, start flipping the pages. It's like, hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Wait a minute. Why are pages 1 to 16 the same as pages 17 to 32? <laughs> I was like, what? What? So, remember what I was saying about a, about team being a giant cluster? <clears throat> uh, it, it looks as, and I had to verify with the guy that I bought it from because he, he, he had another one for sale. And sure enough, Cliff, it, it's pretty fitting that the Alouettes, the 87 Alouettes who folded on the eve of the 87 season, have a print had a printing error on their media guides for 1987. Wow! I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was hyped. I, I was so hyped. It, it, it seems so apropos, and it's it's so funny. Like you, you look at nowadays, you, you talk about teams being dumpster fires or train wrecks or any of the above adjectives to to talk about what what a, what a failure the franchise is. I'm hard pressed at this point. Like I, I and I've seen some stuff. I, I've seen, especially with the Alouettes over the past few years, we've seen some stuff that is just complete head scratching. You know, moves that you just don't completely. You have a hard, such a hard time wrapping your head around. Yeah. But when your media guide, and don't forget, back in 1987, there was no internet, folks. So I mean, there was no real way to get the word out. Like, there, there was very few mediums as far as being able to talk about players and help promote them. And one of those things that helped football teams promote their players and the organization in general was the media guide. Hence the name media guide. Yeah. You give this to the media, they use it to talk about the team. Simple as that. The fact that you're handing this guide out to media members and fans that want to buy them. I don't know if they were, were they uh, sold at the time or was it strictly just for media? I, I honestly don't remember that. I with, with all honesty, I, I don't know. I'd have to ask, you know, it's maybe a question that I, I probably should have asked Rick Moffat. Um, but <laughs> maybe, maybe he, would, he would know. I would imagine that they were, that they were either given out or sold. Um, actually knew might would know is, um, uh, super fan Mike over at the oh. Eskimos pod. 
He would. I'm sure he would know because we know how much stuff that he actually has, how much stuff he's collected. So he might know. That's true. He's probably got like a, a warehouse full of media guides, anyways, yeah. dating back to the 50s. So yeah, <laughs> we'll, exactly. we'll, we'll have to, we will have to ask uh, Super Fan that one. Yeah. Uh, but imagine just this is your 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 chance to help sell your team, help sell the 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 organization as a whole, and to have such a, a major gaff like that is it's unbelievable. Like at, at that point, like you'd be like, wow. What do you do for an encore? Oh, I know. Let's fold the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, like, like how, how do you top that as far as just complete and utter incompetence? Really? I mean, there's just really there's 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 no real other way to describe something like that. But. No, for sure. And I just want to give a, a quick shout out to the guys. And this is not a spot. This is not sponsored in any way, shape or form. I feel that they should get their due. Um, but it's uh, a B D cards. It's a B d cards uh dot com um they're located in winnipeg and calgary and a guy i spoke with dale over the internet um uh, on email uh nice guy i uh, was able to confirm what i uh, what i was wondering about the about the double printed pages and stuff like that but they have a whole slew of stuff for cfo when it comes to a lot of stuff a lot of stuff so as i said if, if you want head over to them um head, as i said head over to their site at abdcards.com Check them out and uh, give them a little, give them, you know, support local business. We might as well. And it's not local, maybe not local to us here for the Alouettes, but I mean, if you're looking for some of that stuff, like old media guides and whatnot, by all means, at least you're supporting Canadians. So that's, that, that's the thing. That's, that's the thing to do. Absolutely. Especially in these uh, challenging times, definitely as much as possible. If you can't help, you know, help support your economy, whether it's local or provincial or federal, that's the way to do it is just, you know, it's, Buy Canadian, spend Canadian, and just keep Canadians, keep 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 Canada going like that. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and we're going to talk to Rick Moffat and talk, hear about his his history and stuff like that. Um, before the interview starts, and Cliff, I know you know, but uh, anybody before we he t- tells us if anybody can guess, and you know what, uh, let us know uh, if you got the answer right. Let us know at our at our Twitter account at Alouette's FL Deck uh, with the hashtag uh, a Rick Interview. Um, let us know where you think he got his start before you listen to the pod. I, I can't tell you to pause it like we like they do on YouTube and answer it in, in the comments below. But let us know. Let us know where you think. You know, right now, before you do anything, before you listen to the rest of the show, pause the interview, pause the show, send us, an, send us a, a tweet and let us know where do you think Rick got his start. It's actually quite interesting. So uh, when we get back, we got a couple more things to talk about. Little tidbits about what the CFL has brought up. And also the CFL happened to bring up their idea of what the Alouette's depth chart would look like. We got a couple of comments about that. But all that and more when we get back. And with this this episode of the podcast is a gentleman uh, that people should know. The voice of this gentleman you should know. Especially if you've been listening to, uh, to Montreal Sports for the longest time. Uh, with us is uh, the former voice of the Impact, the Machine, the uh, Alouettes. Uh, I'll have to ask him if it's any more than that, too. Rick Moffat. Hey, Rick. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Yeah, a couple of years with the Canadians and a oh, couple true. of years uh, calling action at uh, Rogers Cup uh, tennis, which was an intriguing challenge at the time for a couple of seasons, both the men's and the women's over the years. So, uh yeah, it's uh, just a blessing for me to 
to think back. And uh, it was the late, great Ted Blackman of CJD who gave me my opportunity, both with the World League and with the Alouettes. And uh, in each instance, I knew Ted's love of football and, and especially the Owls. And I said, look, uh, if you're uh, coming back as a play-by-play guy for the Owls, I would love to be a part of your show, pre-game, halftime, post-game, you name it. And uh, and he growled and grumbled and said, uh, you do it. I'll sit beside you for home games. And it's like, okay, man, thanks so much for the opportunity of a lifetime. Have you always been a sports guy before you even got into broadcasting? Yeah, I was a huge Alouettes fan as a teenager. I went to games at the Autostad. Uh, I like to say had my uh, had my first beer at the Autostad with my buddies <laughs> in high school days. And, and we migrated to uh, the Big O. I was at the first Alouettes game at Olympic Stadium. I was at the uh, renowned Staple game, the first Grey Cup. The Owls uh, trounced uh, the Eskimos. had no idea, of course, that uh, Tony Proudfoot and Wally Buono and company were... Uh, up to shenanigans with Staples at the time. Me and my buddy were up in the second, the last row oh. of the upper deck at the time, oh. uh, contemplating how we would storm the field in victory. <laughs> and it's, I, I it's our recollection how, how, how that... You, how you were going to get home that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there was a transit strike. I don't even remember how we got down to the game, but I think dog sled maybe, but uh, <laughs> but because uh, it was it was a miserable time uh, weather wise, and uh, and I just remember me and my buddy Glenn, we we started marching down, and when we got down to the lower bowl at the Big O, out came riot police like we had never seen before in Montreal. Because remember, this uh, you know predated any uh, Stanley Cup playoff riots that that Montreal had had in 1977, of course. It was the first time we'd ever seen police with uh, Darth Vader-style black visors in front of their helmets and uh, full-on shield and and chest plates. And we thought, oh, my Lord, there is no way we're going to be able to get onto the field to celebrate this win. So uh, in 2002, uh, 2009, and 10, I was fortunate enough to, uh, after the game's get down onto the field and uh, and scoop up some of the uh, Bleu Blanc Rouge confetti that uh, was down on the turf and still have a couple of uh, pocketfuls stashed away somewhere. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, for, for those who haven't read your Wikipedia page and who don't know about your <laughs> about your history, what, uh, you know, we know you went to school at Carleton, but I mean, what got you into broadcasting? Uh, yeah, Carleton, uh, I definitely decided... Uh, my last year of high school and then uh, through a year of CJEP and into uh, journalism school that uh, I wanted to uh, get into, if not sports broadcasting, then sports writing. I uh, was a huge fan of uh, this uh, newly acquired uh, sports talent writing for one of the Montreal newspapers back then, a guy named Farber. Uh, <laughs> who, uh, Sounds familiar. Who, yeah. Yeah who was an idol. Mike Boone back at the time was oh, wow, yeah. uh, writing some uh, great stuff too on the sports beat uh, back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, these were guys who uh, definitely inspired me. And and uh, it's uh, it's been some, of course, grew up listening to Dave Van Horn and Duke Snyder on uh, baseball and uh, Dick Irvin, Danny Gallivan on uh, hockey broadcasts and uh, 
And at that point, you know, uh, even thinking that I wanted a, a career in sports writing and broadcasting, I never dreamed, never dared to imagine that I might one day be in the broadcast booth. And, and uh, my first most serious stress headache in a broadcast booth came in uh, 2004 when I jumped into the hockey broadcast and uh, had a message from uh, Dick Irvin that he was going to be uh, settling in and, and listening to the hockey game that wow. night. And I thought, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having worked beside Ted Blackman and having him hold my hand, in the football broadcast took a lot of that, that stress away. But, uh, but to know that Dick Irvin at one point was, was listening to me on the radio, man, that I wasn't ready to wrap my head around that. Is it, is it, yeah. Was it hard to get into broadcasting? Cause I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I mean, let's say with some journalists, it can be, you know, it, it could be a hard thing to get into or maybe a, uh, a thankless job. But I mean, but uh, was it ha- actually hard to get into broadcasting to get to, you know, you get your first spot or is it, can broadcasting more or less be of not necessarily what you know, it's a matter of who you know? Yeah, it was tough. Uh, and there was a couple of us, uh, my graduating class at Carleton, and uh, in particular, a couple of the guys who graduated a year before me, there was very little support for those who wanted to, uh, you know, really focus on sports at the time. And, uh, and I was so very fortunate to meet a, a bunch of guys uh, in the uh, graduating class a year ahead of me, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Maychak, who went on to work uh, for the CFL, and uh, and Steve Dryden, who went on uh, to the Hockey News and uh, and TSN Hockey uh, broadcasts for for years and years. These guys uh, found their mark, and uh, and it took me a while. Uh, myself and a buddy, we started uh, trying to collect rejection letters from every daily newspaper in Canada uh, and and most didn't even bother to write back uh, so the rejections were fast and furious the summer after we graduated and uh, there were just no jobs in print journalism back in the early 80s at that point and uh, and I got lucky a sister station to CJD got launched up in Ottawa and uh, they're no longer in the talk radio format but it allowed me to cut my teeth for a couple of years in the Ottawa market. I covered the Rough Riders and the Ottawa 67s for a couple of years. This is uh, back around the time of uh, J.C. Watts, uh, the quarterback of the Rough Riders, a former uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma Sumer grade who went on to uh, uh, a political career after football. And, uh, and after a couple of seasons uh, in Ottawa, I got the opportunity to move back to Montreal. But uh, even at that point, I was still kind of on the beat a bit here and there with the Alouette Concords and uh, and with the Canadians and Expos. But play by play opportunities, yeah, those just didn't come along. And when the NFL had this crazy idea to start the World League <laughs> and include Montreal, uh, man, that was uh, the opportunity of a lifetime that just came out of nowhere. And when Ted Blackman said, uh, You're going to be the play by play voice. I was like, all right, bring it on. And uh, yeah, then the team died. And I thought, oh, my goodness, having had this break of a lifetime uh, and just having had my appetite uh, whetted uh, from two seasons of World League, uh, I never imagined that the Baltimore Stallions might revive the Alouettes. And uh, and so I got uh, second time lucky. That's for sure. That's nice. Now, I, I was at the I was at the, the game, the inaugural game for the machine. 
Um, and obviously, as you remember, uh, that it was just packed. I mean, the big O was uh, was Grey Cup packed. What was your what were your first initial thoughts being a a you know having your first play by play? The, the crowd just absolutely loud. Uh, what was your experience like for that game? Well, it was uh, tremendous. We'd gone on the road to Birmingham, Alabama for uh, the Machines' debut game, and uh, and we had not even seen uh, a single practice of the team. Wow. Uh, we were seeing the team cold because they did a group training camp down in Florida. That's right. And it's my recollection that Ted Blackman told us, well, we won't be covering the road games in Europe, so... Forget about your dream of uh, <laughs> of uh, calling the Barcelona Dragons or uh, you know the London Monarchs from uh, from Wembley or anything like that. Uh, we didn't even have the budget to go cover training camp. Uh, so our first look at the club, Miles Gurrell, uh, Canadian Football Hall of Famer, was my broadcast partner. He was a raw rookie. I was a raw rookie, and uh, and here we were in Legion Field which happened to be uh, being uh, rebuilt and renovated at the time. The press facilities were completely knocked down. We broadcast from about a, an eight foot by eight foot by eight foot uh, lumber cube of plywood and uh, two by fours holding it together. And our techie crew was a bunch of guys who'd been doing uh, uh, Alabama football I think probably since uh, Bear Bryant's first, uh, first game. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and we couldn't understand anything they were saying to us because they uh, talked with uh, such drawls. So Miles and I were, uh, were in deep and in trouble, but uh, we had a great time. And, uh, and Montreal embraced the machine experience. Yeah. And, yeah. and if the NFL had decided to keep those franchises going a little longer, um, I think they would have stuck. There was a couple of cities, Sacramento, um, San Antonio. You know, those were also cities with NFL aspirations. Columbus, and, too. Columbus. Uh, we wondered if, you know, a couple of teams were going to make it. Never imagined that, uh, you know, the CFL would try to tap into that uh, hunger for football and, and expand into the USA. And then, you know, on the emotional rebound from the Baltimore Stallions, uh, the Alouettes back to life. So, yeah, it was a crazy path both for me personally yeah. uh, and for the rebirth of football. For sure. In Cliff. Montreal. Okay. Now, with that experience with the machine, do you think that sort of whetted the appetite for football in Montreal itself? Because the oh, Alouettes sure. were – the Alouettes were, were gone for a while. And I know for myself, like that was, those were my formative years in watching football was watching NFL because the Alouettes weren't in town. So – I wanted to watch as much football as possible. And when the machine came in, yeah, I was definitely all in for that. But do you think that really sparked the interest and the desire to get uh, football back in Montreal for the Alouettes? I think it definitely helped plant the seed. Absolutely. And you're right, because there was a whole generation. I saw it, uh, you know, my kids and their friends, if they were into football, it was likely to be the NFL. And the fact that the NFL stamp was on the World League uh, at least for those uh, couple of seasons that the machine were here. Uh, it whet the appetite. It, it proved, uh, you know, when uh, Jim Spiros and uh, ultimately Larry Smith were trying to prove to uh, uh, commissioners uh, successively that, uh, look, pro football could 
thrive again in Montreal, I think they could turn to that experience because other than that, there was just a couple of uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, uh, NFL preseason yeah. games, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Uh, I, I seem to recall covering a, uh, was it Steelers-Browns, I want to say? Uh, Steelers-Patriots. Oh, wow. I don't remember the Patriots coming north yeah. to uh Or was it Patriots, Patriots wow. Cleveland? Because I, I was at the Steelers one, but I'm trying to remember, uh, now you're making me question if it was the Patriots. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I, I think it was, in a, I think it was Patriots. Because I think it was Browns and Jets, Browns and Jets in Montreal. I th- uh, the other one, I think. But anyways, anyways. Yeah. yeah. But the but the World League experience, and, and in particular, too, hosting the, uh, the World Bowl was a great achievement, yes. too. For Montreal mm-hmm. and and while yes uh, the second season of the machine the crowd started to dwindle somewhat uh, I think the World Bowl experience too was very good for the city and uh, and yeah that appetite was there and so uh, you know the memories of I can you know I can still see uh, Doug Flutie scrambling and throwing a dart to the uh, to the end zone to uh, to have uh, pull out an Argos uh, comeback win that spoiled. Uh, the Alouettes home opener when they came back in in '96 and uh, and but 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 the uh, the loyalty was reborn and uh, and I just uh, really hope that uh, you know and saw how uh, you know the the 2019 season uh, was just such a crazy joyride mm. of unexpected comebacks and uh, Coach Kahari taking the reins and Vernon Adams Jr. and and uh, just sure hope that at some point in 2020 we can get back to that. It, it would be nice. I mean, it's um, it, you know you look at sports now. You look at your your history. I mean, it's you know it it's it can be really a part of somebody's life, and it really was for you. I mean, one thing I was wondering about because the last time you and I met, uh, you did uh, you did an interview with myself and a couple of, of my friends at Grey Cup in Toronto. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but that's where you and I met for the very first time. It was a long time ago. But uh, um, my question to you is, is that how were you able to keep all these sports separate? I can only imagine how much preparation you had to do. I mean, you're dealing with three different sports at one time. How were you able to do that, Rick? Yeah, I'm sure there were some uh, bloopers somewhere where, uh, you know, uh, thankfully, I, uh, I never called the Canadians' goal a touchdown, and, <laughs> and, and never a touchdown a goal. But I'm sure somewhere there were some uh, slips I wasn't even aware of. Where, um, and, and thankfully, uh, uh, neither Grant Needham uh, on soccer or uh, uh, anyone from uh, Tony Proudfoot uh, to Ed Fillion uh, to more recently Marco Bruyat. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, none of those guys had to. Uh, Give me the forearm smash to uh, get me back into uh, into football terminology, but uh, it was a lot of fun and it was a it was a great challenge and uh, and that was uh, that was uh, part of the joy of it was uh, was just getting acquainted with uh, the players and the personalities uh, over the years. Uh, I mean, you know, what a cast, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast of Alouettes from 1996 on. Uh, I, you know what? Uh, about a week ago, I started uh, watching on uh, YouTube the uh, 2002 Grey Cup game again, the win in Edmonton over the Eskimos yeah. uh, that finally uh, ended Montreal's championship uh, drought after so long. And and 
you know, I think back, uh, I couldn't believe when I realized, oh my goodness, we're coming up to a, a 20th anniversary of that win. And uh, talked to some of uh, the uh, Owls about their memories of that incredible downtown Montreal celebration mm-hmm. that uh, that drew estimates of crowds four or five hundred thousand people and. Uh, and man, uh, it, it was a, a, a crazy joyride. That's for sure. And it's hard to believe too, because you you said you went through what happened with the machine, and, and I understand you're 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 just the you know you're part of the broadcast team, but also the you know you were talking. Uh, Cliff was asking about you know were, you know did that, those sow the seeds for for football again in Montreal? You know, Montrealers almost had to go through that again. At least football fans with the team. I mean, you remember how the team was you know, how the team was welcomed in Montreal, or how the fans did not show up in 96 at all. I don't think I've ever seen the big O, you know, next to, you know, Expos uh, baseball, how people just did not show up at the big O. Um, When it came to the actual change itself, how happy were you that the team decided to go, you know, thanks to you too, decided to have the playoff game at Percival Molson, in your opinion, how pivotal was that in Alouette's history? Yeah, it was huge. Uh, look, there was, you know, the initial uh, burst. There was, it's my recollection anyway, in 96, uh, uh, at least an outpouring at first. But then there were some some losses, some ugly losses. And uh, Wally Buono brought the Stampeders in and, and they racked up 60-plus uh, points yep. on the apps. And, and then the test of faith, you know, and we've seen it in recent seasons uh, just how loyal and how patient can fans be. And in the CFL, uh, you know, fans uh, can be really merciless uh, and uh, and not very forgiving at times. And so the move outdoors, I'd been at that U2 concert, uh, uh, coincidentally. Yep, same and, here. Uh, I'm uh, forever grateful yeah. uh, <laughs> that, uh, that that experiment, uh, out of necessity, yes, but uh, it, it was a bull move. And, and uh, Larry Smith and the front office, you know, quickly did their market research and reached out to the fans and, and realized, hey, this, this can work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a coolish gray November day. And I remember uh, uh, somebody in the front office telling me, uh, you know, months after that uh, playoff date that, you know, one of the uh, things that gave him the confidence was just that uh, that collegiate atmosphere. And it was it was like being at uh, a tailgate party mm-hmm. and it was like being at a frat party and uh, the beer sales per head were uh, crazy astronomical <laughs> compared to uh, the beer sales at the big O uh, because everybody wanted to party and the party outdoors. Uh, I don't think it's overstating the case to say, uh, save the franchise. I think oh, I agree. I, I, I actually agree because I felt, you know, if it wasn't further, um, you know, I have, I, you know, I thank Jim Spiros for bringing the team back, but I had questions about the ownership, which people know I, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that, but you know, thank God for the wet because if it wasn't for the wet and alls, they may have been a one or two and done like the like the machine were. So it's, I, I you know, it, it, if it wasn't for the wet and alls, we would not be talking today about the Alouettes now. And it's, um, I, I'm just glad that they came around. And it's, um, but in in your career, and you've been you've been part of so many famous and and and, and uh, uh, 
uh, exciting Alouette moments. And I know this is going to, I don't, I imagine this is going to be very hard to choose, but what is the one out of all the games that you've called and all the milestones that you've seen? You know, you get the 2,000 yards by Mike Pringle, you got AC uh, breaking the all time passing, uh, pro football passing record. Do you have a particular moment that you will always tell the story of as your first story? Wow, uh, you know what? It, <laughs> there are there are a lot, and and uh, there were so many special moments too with with the players and with uh, Tony Proudfoot, mm. uh, who I worked with uh, the longest in the broadcast booth. Uh, lots of private, fun little moments, you know, that that flash into my head, um, and. And yet, it you know, it comes back to those championship moments. And and I think it was because we kind of suffered along with that team that lost those Eastern finals a couple mm-hmm. of years in a row to the Argos, then a couple of years in a row to the Tiger Cats, finally gets to a Grey Cup in 2000. You think, okay, this is the moment when, when our, uh, you know, our fans will be able to uh, celebrate as as they deserve, and and it took till 2002. Um, but 2002 was a funny moment uh, for me because I didn't do the play by play of that game uh, when the Owls won. I was uh, uh, accredited as uh, as a reporter, but I was sitting beside Michael Souls actually okay. uh, up in the uh, press box uh, at uh, Commonwealth Stadium, and the Owls were you know both offenses were really struggling. And uh, at a certain moment, I turned to uh, to Michael and I said, you know, I think AC should just air it out and go deep to try and get them out of this field position hole. And just as I had said that to Souls, uh, AC went deep to Pat Woodcock. There we go. And they set mm-hmm. the uh, Grey Cup record for a longest touchdown uh, completion. Stood for a while anyway. Uh, and, and so that's always a fun moment. I chuckle at, um, 2009, the, uh, the 13th man miracle comeback, uh, that, that for me is a special moment. Cause I finally got to call, uh, the game. We didn't always have the rights to the gray cup game because it was, uh, just a weird national rights situation, but I finally got the opportunity to share a call with Rod Peterson, who did the first half, uh, the voice of uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for many years. Uh, and he was just so smug uh, with his <laughs> riders. Uh, and he turned to me when we went into commercial break. And uh, let's just say he was giving me some shots. <laughs> and uh, and I kind of had this this image of him uh, spending the third quarter already making sure the champagne was on ice and that he had a stogie ready for the Saskatchewan victory party. And it even got to the extent that I turned to our uh, producer in the booth in Calgary and I said, look, uh, I can't I can't endure another Grey Cup defeat. So... At the three-minute warning, if the riders are up by 10, get your boy back in here so you can have the money clip of him calling a rider's victory. Uh, And then, sure enough, uh, the Alouettes didn't let me down. They launched the, uh, to me, what's still uh, the most incredible uh, Grey Cup comeback, Uh, the perfect storm, uh, not just uh, because Anthony uh, Calvillo 
uh, was able to guide them down the field in the final seconds uh, for Damon Duval's second try. But the defense uh, was absolutely balling in that second half. Uh, and uh, Jay Rich and uh, Cahoon uh, were just running routes to perfection. And so when that flag went up, uh, we saw it quickly. Ed Fillion and I, and uh, and I can still hear Ed saying, oh, I wouldn't want to be that 13th man. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, and then that kick into elation and uh, talked to a lot of the guys on the field that about that moment and where they were looking and uh, could they could they watch as uh, Damon launched the ball back uh, uh, toward the uprights and and some were looking down some were already holding hands in prayer on the sideline or being knocked about in the special teams blocking formation. But uh, what a moment uh, for, for an Alouette's broadcaster to be uh, calling that moment. Uh, yeah, I still get uh, chills when uh, when I uh, I think about that moment or, or hear that clip. Okay, are you going to be watching the uh, CFL Encore when they replay that game next week? <laughs> I will uh, happily sit back and enjoy <laughs> and uh and uh, it'll be a lot less uh, stressful for me, and and I'll look for it. I've over the years uh, had a great uh, friendship with uh, Chris Cuthbert, who was a mentor for me at times. And uh, I remember meeting him in the early '80s when I first started covering the CFL. Um, and uh, and Chris was always very gracious with his time and uh, and advice with me as well. So I'll look forward to to watching that one again and. Uh, and uh, and enjoying the TSN broadcast for sure. What, what I think you should do is try to do like a FaceTime call with Rod and see if he'd want to relive those <laughs> moments again. <laughs> but this time you'd have the champagne, you'd have the stogie ready to go, and all that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I think I might just see if he's up for that. Actually, two glasses of champagne and two stogies because they're going to be playing them back to back, the both wins of the Alouettes. Oh, that's right. That's so. right. <laughs> yeah, the repeat, uh, what an accomplishment that was. Yeah. And I give Mark Tressman credit because I thought, oh boy, is this uh, ever a cliche city uh, when he started the 2010 year saying, no, 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 he wasn't going to mention the Great Cup victory because that was an entirely different team. And I, I thought, man. That's going to be a tough sell to all those returning veterans. But uh, I give Coach Tressman so much credit for uh, insisting on that 2010 squad as building its own identity. And and that win, I was on the sidelines uh, for that win. I was the sideline reporter in, uh, in uh, 2010. Uh, not up in the booth uh, calling the play-by-play action. And so it was another unique perspective for me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was uh, it was another opportunity to experience the win. And I, so I can still see, uh, you know, by the time I got into the Alouette locker room, uh, you know, some of the guys up high on their locker stalls and uh, most of the champagne already gone. <laughs> Um, but um, I was it was a tremendous moment and and but you know it's funny because what worried me uh, about that uh, 2010 win uh, yeah there was uh, another uh, resounding love fest uh, but I thought to myself uh, and and when we hit the lean years then after Trasman moved on uh, the coaching revolving door started. I always wondered, had the Alouettes squeezed enough out of that repeat victory in terms of, 
expanding the season ticket base and uh, extending their reach in terms of merchandising and so on. And do you know anybody who has a repeat T-shirt or hat? No, because I it, it was a missed in my mind. It was a missed opportunity. And, and then uh, by the time uh, 2013 rolled around and the struggles into 1415 and the struggles dragged on I thought to myself oh man if if only perhaps in these lean years we'd been able to expand uh, the season ticket base better or or capitalize more uh, for uh, a younger generation of fans to appreciate all that uh, 2009 and 2010 editions of the Alouettes had accomplished that's true and luckily now you know we we went through that time with not really having somebody that we can call our quarterback. We we really do now, obviously with uh, with Vernon Adams being our starting guy, and you can tell just by the you know what they gave him as far as his contract went. Um, Rick, how do you look at the the state of the Alouettes in the city of Montreal going forward? Uh, so much more relieved that the the quarterback problem uh, seems to have been answered. We know the head coaching uh, problem was answered. Kahari was a revelation once he took over and uh, and we saw it uh, behind the scenes as soon as the switch was made. And on that very first road trip last year uh, to kick it off in Edmonton, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Owls, yes, uh, came away empty-handed in terms of getting him a win. Uh, but we saw the buy-in and uh, I was uh, so optimistic then uh, I, I had expected or predicted that modestly that the Owls might get to nine and nine and even ten and eight if a new quarterback star uh, was born in 2019. Uh, the honest uh, truth is, I expected that to be Antonio Pipkin and not Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, but I was optimistic if the Owls could could unleash a quarterback. Uh, who could get enough completions and scramble around enough to buy himself some time and make some magic plays. I, I was pretty certain the Owls were getting back to the playoffs in 2019. Uh, but the Vernon Adams story and the way that that club coalesced around Kahari's ever-smiling, ever-dancing-on-the-sideline uh, demeanor. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And, and those crazy comebacks, the one in Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, the crazy shootout. Uh, touchdown Atlantic, uh, just uh, crazy moments. And uh, it, it it was a season to remember, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and then the, the miracle on uh, uh, on the mountain versus, uh, versus Winnipeg, too. Uh, yeah, only uh, the craziest uh, fourth quarter comeback ever, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just such an emotional uh, joyride uh, yeah. with that team and, uh, and so man, many unlikely characters. Uh, contributing that supporting cast, the Jake Winnikies, the the Quan Brays, uh, uh, and and uh, you know a- answering uh, with a, a dynamic kick returner, uh, Alfred uh, Super Mario uh, okay. getting it done, uh, a late addition, and and look, there will always be changeover, and uh, you know there are going to be some fresh faces for 2020. Uh, we hope and can't assume that we will see them in 2020. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about, uh, of course, with a new general manager and a new front office team. Uh, and, you, and you brought it up, uh, the status, status of sports in 2020. Cliff, I know you wanted to ask him some, some stuff about that. Yeah, as far as 
where sports goes now. I mean, like we're we're in a adjusted this what we call it to realistically where it's happening in 2020 if at all i mean are we going to be watching games in stadiums are we going to be just stuck stadium like things are going to go for 2020 if anywhere well uh i think look the nfl is much better positioned to pull off a an attempt at a season with empty stadia because uh they've got enough television revenue. We know that the CFL is a gate-driven league, so uh, it's going to be a huge challenge if they decide to go down that road. I'm still optimistic that perhaps there can be a partial season. Uh, Perhaps 9-10 games uh, will be enough uh, to squeeze in this fall, Uh, and I would love to see the league get that done, but I've I've talked to... one former CFL general manager who said to me, but what if, you know, how will the league have contingency plans if just one team has one player then test positive? Then would everybody have to shut it down? And it would be such a disappointment if that were to happen. And, uh, you know, uh, roster sizes, uh, you know, to pull off a CFL training camp to gather, uh, you know, dozens of, of men from all across the continent to come together for, for training camp. It's going to be a huge challenge. Uh, and I wish them every success in, in pulling it off. And the CFLPA and uh, the coaches and general managers have so much to consider. Uh, and then, of course, there's the issue of fan safety as well. Uh, but I, I think I think we, we know from uh, NHL shortened seasons uh, that – there can still be a level of legitimacy uh, to a cup. And so for me, if you can get nine or ten games in uh, and you can still throw a great cup party somewhere in this country uh, with fans or not, uh, it'll still be a great cup party, whether it's uh, a virtual one uh, or a TV uh, broadcast party in front of an empty stadium. If that's all we can uh, strive for, uh, I say let's go for it uh, and let's uh, do everything possible to see, uh, even if it's a socially distant uh, Grey Cup party and uh, even if we can't pass a cup around uh, to have uh, players uh, sipping their favorite beverages out of a cup uh, come the end of November uh, or into December if mm-hmm. it so must be. Uh, I'd love to see uh, and and I suspect that, you know, as long as player safety and fan safety is there, I'd love to see the league get nine or ten games in and, and get to a playoff run. It's it's a unique time that we live in, and we can only imagine. It's funny, we, we can reference back what's happened, you know, about 100 years ago when the, the last major thing happened across the world. But um, it, it's, it's funny that how sports has changed. I mean, who would have thought, guys, you never think that you would have seen – ESPN broadcast uh, a tournament of horse from NBA players. You never think that you would see something like that. So it, it it's changed sports in a way where it may be a, a thing, a, a good thing for certain things. But I, I think, it, as Rick said, I think it's just a matter of us getting back to normal. Let everything get back to normal. Let's bring back sports, and then I just want the things to survive, Rick. I mean, we so we've seen so many of the minor leagues where it, it, they may just may not come back. You know, some of the smaller indoor le- football leagues, as an example, um, 
do you think the CFL can can you think they'll survive even if they don't have a 2020 season? I have no doubt about that. Uh, I I really have no worry in that regard. Uh, the ownership of this league, uh, the commissioner's office, uh, and the players uh, and and fans, I I think love this league so much that uh, if if in the worst case scenario it means uh, 2021. Uh, then my goodness, the uh, we'll be starved for it. We'll be absolutely craving it, and uh, and if it must be uh, until next year, uh, I have no doubt uh, that fans will will flock to games in every market, and mm-hmm. uh, and that means the trouble spots uh, as well that the league has had in recent years. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually willing, even as a season ticket holder for as long as I've had my season ticket trick. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I wouldn't, I would be willing to pace more than necessary for, for a season just to be able to not necessarily pad the coffers of a particular, of the Alouettes, but to help them, uh, help them come back and, and, and make sure that they do stay. So I don't know how many people would say the same thing as me, but, <laughs> um, but I, I'd be willing to pay some more on my season tickets. Cliff, would you, I know you don't have season tickets, but would you be willing to pay more money? Of course. I mean, at the end of the day, something is better than nothing. And again, we all just want our football. We want to be able to go and be a part of it. And if it means we have to make concessions in different areas, whether it's seating fans a couple of seats apart or anything like that. I mean, at this point, something is better than nothing, I think. So, again, I understand that player safety has to be the number one thing. Fan safety is paramount as well. There's a lot of factors into this and... I just hope we can get something figured out because, as I said, it's it's tough going without football. I mean, like even right now, like just going through all of this, like being able to watch the draft and this, like you got the NFL draft, the CFL draft, and it's better than nothing. But it, all it does is just sort of it's almost a tease, really. Like you just you know it's coming, and then ideally after the CFL draft, you know that the that means training camp is going to be starting in a couple of weeks, and this year not so much. So that's. That's kind of a tough thing to kind of a tough pill to swallow, but uh, I mean, I guess it is what it is. But I mean, if we can get something going and hopefully maybe by Labor Day, get the season underway, even if it's just a shortened season, I, I keep going back to this. Something is better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cliff, you have another one more question for uh, for Rick before we let him go. Actually, I am kind of curious, Rick, uh, of all these the cities you've done CFL games in, what would you say was your favorite one to be doing a road trip to? Ah. Uh. Good question. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, Vancouver was always a special place to visit for me. Uh, I've got uh, family and uh, friends out there, and uh, uh, just love the uh, the physical setting. I love uh, strolling. We often stayed uh, at hotels walking distance to uh, BC Place, and so it was always great just to feel the the vibe in the street. Always uh, ended up taking. Uh, pictures annually and at the uh, Terry Fox Memorial uh, outside the stadium and uh, going indoors. But uh, my mom was a prairie girl and uh, she always said, uh, you're going to love the sunsets in Saskatchewan. And uh, so uh, I enjoyed Regina and uh, coincidentally, uh, Tony Proudfoot and I uh, rekindled a friendship with uh, Tony's former teammate, Phil Price, uh, who uh, retired and still lives in Regina, former Alouette from 
the 1970s, the Marv Levy era, and uh, it was always a, a highlight of every Alouette season, uh, reuniting Tony and Phil, and uh, more recently introducing uh, Phil to uh, guys like Ed Filion and uh, Marco Bruyette and uh, Joey Alfieri, who I had the pleasure of uh, introducing him to with the broadcast crew. So, uh, so Vancouver, I uh, would say number one, and uh, Regina a close second. Okay, um, we have uh, having seen having seen football games in Regina, I can definitely concur that it's it's a pretty excellent place to watch football like if you are a cfl fan you have to watch even if you're not a rough riders fan which i'm not as but you have to go and be a part of it you have to experience regina like it, it really is like nothing else so i'm i'm 100 on board with you there. crazy yeah yeah um you've you've been uh uh you know a, a part of a lexicon here in montreal when it comes to broadcasting rick you have so many different stories. You've been a part of so many different sports teams and so much history. I just out of curiosity, and this is my last question, uh, based on all the history that you've had, you ever thought of writing a book? <laughs> uh, some have suggested it, uh, and uh, I'll leave it at this. I'm, uh, I'm not so sure people are interested in the life story of a broadcaster, uh, but I'm still interested in the life stories of athletes uh, who have been a part of the special moments uh, that they brought to the fans. So as we speak, I'm working, exploring the possibility of a project with uh, a former Alouette uh, and a Grey Cup champ uh, to help him tell his story. Nice. Uh, so we'll start with that and see where that takes. I, if that comes out, Cliff, I, I know we'll have to make Ooh. sure that we get a couple of signed copies. <laughs> Uh, of course and also to talk about this project as well in detail absolutely yeah um rick uh, i can honestly say i've heard you on the radio for so many years um so many different sports that uh when i tune into the alouettes on the road or if i'm in the car listening to to the alouettes that i can honestly say that i will miss not hearing your voice uh, you are, are a huge part of the Montreal sports scene, and you will be greatly missed. No, you're too kind, and uh, you know what? I, I know the Owls and Impact uh, will be in great hands, uh, and are in great hands in the Impact's case, uh, though uh, Joey Alfieri had a, a shortened season. Hopefully that can resume uh, as well on TSN 690. Uh, along with uh, Grant Needham and Olivier Brett and uh, the Alouettes. I know they'll be in good hands, and uh, TSN 690 has a fantastic crew working hockey broadcasts, uh, and uh, I miss hearing them all. I really do. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it's also podcasts like yours, guys, that have really uh, taken the love of the CFL and the Alouettes uh, to the grassroots and uh, and fan the flames of that love affair as well. So good on you guys uh, for keeping the podcast going too. Oh, it, it's greatly appreciated. And uh, uh, all we can, we can say is uh, we hope that you stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, uh, we hope to have you on on the pod very shortly to talk about this potential new book. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. So, did you guess where Rick got his first start in Montreal radio? I bet you you didn't. I didn't. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool. But, I mean, it was great talking to Rick, hearing about what he thinks about 
current situation in the CFL about his career. And obviously we wish Rick nothing but the best. It's, uh, I think as I mentioned, uh, in the interview itself, Cliff, it's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting to see where the Alouettes and TSN 690 go when it comes to who they hire as the new voice of the Montreal Alouettes. And I guess it'll be the same type of thing. It's, it's how people felt when, you know, the Canadians made the change. So, I mean, he was such an integral part of, as I said, really sp- uh, Montreal sports. But uh, it, was, it was great having him on. Oh, without question. And uh, just, a, just a wealth of information and lots of great insight from going way back as far as the Alouettes go. Like going back to when the team came back in 1996, uh, going through the Grey Cup victories, all three of them, uh, in, the, in this new era, so to speak, uh, like I said, just so much information. Uh, I, I mean, we would have sat and talk with Rick for hours on this, and uh, we definitely appreciate him, sh- uh, you know, sitting sitting with us, spending some time, and just uh, man, just definitely some great stuff. Uh, definitely, you know, you know, follow him on Twitter, uh, follow him on Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. get to know Rick, and uh, again, I'm going to echo your statements as well. We wish him all the best uh, going forward, and whatever the next step is uh, with him as far as anything he does in the Montreal sports world, we're all for it. And uh, yeah, anytime he wants to come back on the flight deck and uh, share some more stories, we'd be more than happy to have him. Exactly. So obviously with the, um, with, you know, not, there are not very many things that we can, you know, that the league can do. And, you know, they're really trying to push some, uh, push out some content for their website and for, for their social media uh, outlets and stuff like that and their channels. Um, and they started this whole thing when they were talking about what they would predict. And I have no clue who came up with this. That, that's the first thing I want to know. They just put it, they just put it out to the general CFL.ca staff. But they have been doing off-season or, or what the depth chart could look like for the for every team and they went ahead and they did the the alouettes um i don't see the date here but anyways they, they did they did them recently it's still it is still is up on on, on cfl.ca and you can also check we did retweet it over our twitter account um but of the of the offensive and defensive depth charts uh i guess we'll start with the with the offense cliff um, and I, I, I get this. I get this. That that is this stuff based off of guys that they've drafted, guys that they've signed, et cetera, et cetera. What to you was the biggest difference? Just besides uh, Richard, uh, you know, uh, Richard having his name backwards. <laughs> well, that was a glaring mistake right there. Uh, that's to me someone not paying attention, which is unfortunate. But you know, these things happen. Uh, I guess as far as just taking a look at it, it's funny because like, we know the, the moves that were made over the offseason, whether it was through free agency or the draft. Uh, it's interesting to note, though, that the uh, players that were drafted this year are not included in the depth chart, obviously, because technically they're not part of the team just yet. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if you're going strictly based on the players that are actually signed, sealed, and delivered for the Montreal Alouettes, uh, probably the big thing, the, the one that really stands out to me more than anything else is just taking a look at the running back position. Like, it's hard to believe one a year. Ton. <laughs> like, that, that's just a complete, complete 180. I mean, this time last year, you were talking about William Stanback, Jeremiah Johnson, Ryder Stone. Uh, this year, you've got James Wilder Jr., Tyrell Sutton, Shaq Murray Lawrence, Jess One Antwi, and uh, 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 Damon uh, Bregalone. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, like the complete 180 as far as I, uh, like I said, just uh, 
I mean, this is going to be a very interesting battle to see right off the start, just with James Wilder and Tyrell Sutton, because you got two guys coming in, both free agents signed by the Alouettes, and both are expected to compete at a high level. And I think a lot of questions is going to be just how badly does James Wilder want this? How badly does he want to be? Like he, in his mind, he is a superstar and wanted to be paid like a superstar when he won Rookie of the Year and Grey Cup with the Toronto Argonauts in 2017. And he had bigger aspirations in mind, but now he's, I guess, relegated himself to this this mindset of being a CFL superstar, yeah. which is great. How is he going to do that here in Montreal? That, that's going to be one of the big questions and one of the ones that we'd be asking going into training camp. On the other side, you've got Tyrell Sutton, who played for the Alouettes for so many years, left via trade, bounced around for a couple of teams, uh, went to the Great Cup last year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and had a, a very solid performance there. But now back here in Montreal, his uh, his new adopted well his I can't say new newly adopted hometown. He's been a Montreal for several years now, but he's back home as far as he's concerned. Yeah, and he still wants to prove that he can play. I mean, he's like once you hit thirty as a running back, typically that's when things start to go downhill. But you you do see a bit of a resurgence with some of these uh, experienced, shall we say, running backs. Uh, Andrew Harris is in his 30s, and he's ha- just had a phenomenal season last oh, no year. Look what, yeah, look what he did in the Grey Cup. Exactly. Uh, as I said, Tyrell had a great Grey Cup run, uh, played extremely well in the Grey Cup game. Uh, you know, he's still, he's still got plenty of gas to tank, but then you take a look at the youngsters, like Shaq Marie Lawrence and Jess Wenanti. Antwi, I should say. Uh, these are young guys that want to prove themselves. Uh, they're both national players as well. So that's also another wrinkle thrown into the mix is mm-hmm. how do you in- incorporate these guys in as far as uh, like as far as uh, trying to satisfy the ratio? How do you get these guys the reps they need? Because these guys could be the future in theory because Wilder and Sutton are experienced veterans. Uh, Murray Lawrence and Antwi are I won't say rookies necessarily, but they're young. You know, they're I'd say sophomore players. They, 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 these are guys that, in the next couple of years, these are the names that you should be hearing about as far as uh, running back it goes in the Canadian Football League. So that to me, that I look at that position right there and I think, wow, that is really going to be an interesting battle to see in training camp if we had a training camp. Yeah, it's and that's one of the things that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. It's something that came that it was talked about. I think it was the. Uh, I think it was something that was done by TSN, uh, uh, Dave Naylor, and uh, uh, Farhan Lalji. Where did, they did something recently, and it was interesting what they were talking about. How Danny Machocha may take may take the approach this year. I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but taking the approach this year of it being a like a U sport team based off of how much time they have available to ha- to have camp. So you know, for all we know, we're going to have a running back by you know it, it's by committee. It's very possible. Um, I think for me, which I still don't understand, and I think this would have changed in years before, is that why is Quan Bray still on the roster? Do we are we under the impression that he is not? I mean, considering what happened and what he was arrested for, I understand he was in the U.S. And yes, it, it may be legal here, but it's very possible something like that would have gotten him arrested here in Canada, anyways. But still, why is Quan Bray still on the roster? And he mm-hmm. was also, you know, he was also included, you know, he, he was included in that, in that, uh, uh, that depth chart. Um, yeah, because uh, I, I, I'd be very, 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 very surprised to see Quan Bray be able to cross the border with this, uh, this uh, transgression of his and, and try to play football. I, I just, I don't, I, I don't see it happening. I, again, I've been wrong before. And I, I know technically when it comes to things, it's everybody's innocent until proven guilty. 
But at the same time, holy crap, this is, uh, I mean, like this, this isn't a, a parking ticket here. I mean, he was. No, I know. Yeah. It's uh, not like he's going to come to the board and say, oh, oh, you're arrested for pot. Pfft, it's legal here. Come on in, buddy. Well, you know what? Pot is legal, but not that much. Like the amount that he and his uh, friend were transporting is not even close to legal. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is a – I'm very curious as to why that was listed, why we're still seeing him listed on the website. Um, again, not, uh, with all the respect in the world for what Quan Bray did last season for the LOS, you, you definitely can't take that away from him. But at the same time, when it comes to like – Criminal matters. I yeah, mean, yeah. Put up at least put him on the suspended list, right? Uh, because because there were a couple of other other things. And yes, I understand. I'm biased. I'm a little. I am high on them. Uh, but I think a very big surprise is having Fabian Guerra listed as a third wide receiver behind Eugene Lewis and David Absher. I would think that if that was the case, with if if Quan Bray was not there, could you throw in a Malachi Jones as a slot back? Huh. Now that's the question I want to ask you. Because obviously we're going to, we're, we're in for future episodes, we're trying to get some of these guys on, you know, these rookies so you can get, you can get to know them. And we're hoping that they do stay with the team. But uh, somebody like, if you were to take out a Quan Bray, do you automatically slot in, let's say like a, a, a do you, you slot in a, a Fabian Guerra or a Malachi Jones? Or do you, or do you think that they need to be under the, under the wide receiver slot? Because slot backs, I mean, we, we've seen both these guys. If anybody's seen the stuff, how we're promoting them. Uh, before in the past on on social media, these guys don't mind going over the middle one bit. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your what's your thought on that? I mean, I was very surprised to see Guerra, but I was like, wait a minute, where's Malachi Jones? That's it, and also too, like I'm sure there's numerous other receivers and player positions, like players in positions that uh, weren't listed on this. Again, I I don't know you only have so many players you could yeah. like max four, but at the same time, you're you're well, absolutely look at right. Look at the halfback, it's five. Okay, fine. So I mean, that's you know, wide that's receiver. They put it four also, though the one that was on the uh, on the right side behind uh, uh, Fulbert Lucier. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. It's I mean, like if you if you wanted to, you could find a way. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, for and sure. I'm I'm just curious to know where where they got. <laughs> I'm really curious to know where what they did this. You know, nobody behind Jake Winicky or anybody behind B.J. Cunningham. But I mean, as I said, slot backs are slot backs are just as important, and and we, as we've seen, slot backs. I don't. I don't say that they're more important than wide receivers, but you know. No, it's all. It, it, they're all. It's all part of the offense. It's all. It's definitely important. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely curious, and you know, I'm sure that's the argument they'll use as well. We can't put every single player in these rosters. I'm like, I, I get that, but I mean, well, I, at the same time, who, who the hell did it? <laughs> yeah. No, it, uh, it, it's it's definitely a suspect, and I don't know. It, it, it kind of yeah. comes across as kind of thrown together last minute like okay like all the yeah, all the guys listed yeah. under wide receiver all the guys listed under slot back just put them in there somehow like and that's yeah, I mean, make that's sure you have that, make sure you have enough canadians in there to, to appease everybody yeah exactly so uh any surprises that you saw on what what whoever this uh mr cfl.ca staff mr staff did for the uh defensive chart uh i mean everything seems pretty straightforward there uh lord knows uh, we seem to have a wealth of uh cornerbacks i mean uh both of the davises uh, i mean same idea like you, you want to include as many names as possible but at the same time like these are not exactly household names so it's kind of hard to get excited about that whereas you go over to the other side and you got siante evans and uh yeah. marlo sean franklin jr okay why not put you know it, it just for the sake of balancing things out like yeah. why not move a couple of these one or both of these davis guys 
over to the other side, just for the sake of balance. I mean, just uh, from a purely aesthetical stand- standpoint, I don't know why you do that. And meanwhile, middle linebacker is incredibly stacked. No kidding. I, okay. I mean, I look at the names on that list, too. You've got Hinoch Mwamba, DJ Lolama, friend of the show. Uh, Jean-Gabriel Poulet, also a friend of the show. Alexandre Gagné and uh, Frédéric uh, Chagnon. I mean, wow. I mean, with the exception of Lolama, you've got a whole bunch of uh, French-speaking middle linebackers that can uh, that can lay the wood on, on guys. So that's that's pretty exciting to see. And and also, look at our cornerback. we got two guys named D. Davis. Yeah, that's just what I was talking about. You got yeah. two. You got two Davises there. Like, yeah. spread 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 the love a little bit. You know, uh, what's what's going to be a huge uh, of interest to me is definitely that defensive line. I, uh-huh. I mean, you look, you look at some of the names on that list, and there's a lot to like there. Uh, the one that really stands out to me though is John Bowman is still on that list because again he is under contract. It's, it is true. Uh, he hasn't retired. He hasn't retired. He is. You're exactly right. He's not officially retired. Uh, the one question I would have, though, is would he be going through a, a complete training camp? Uh, because let's not forget, last year he didn't exactly participate in every single camp day. That's true. Now that also, too, worked in his favor because he ended up having a, a pretty solid season last year. And one would probably argue that because he didn't have to go through the rigors of day-to-day camp mm-hmm. like like the others mm-hmm. did, he was fresh. He was ready to go. And he, he played with purpose. But yep. this year, I, I, I would have to wonder, like, you want to give as many people an opportunity as possible to, I don't want to say replace Bowman, but at the same time, we, we have to realize that there's a very good chance, especially now with this pandemic delaying things, and it, God forbid that it wipes out the entire CFL season, this could be the last ride for John Bowman. Like, yeah. he, like, and he stated, he's said in not so many words that there's a very good chance he may have already played his last football game. I sincerely hope not, but because he definitely deserves to go out on his own terms, but... Or we just may see a scenario like we saw with uh, LBJ last year, where I was, I was just about to say that, yeah, yeah, comes out, plays in the home opener, play, you know, takes that you know last snap, so to speak, and rides off into the sunset. We could see that with uh, John, but again, with things being the way they are right now, everything is up in the air. But at the same time, one thing you have to realize is sooner or later you are going to have to replace a John Bowman. Yeah, and any of these names on this list, I guarantee, are chomping at the bit to be able to have that opportunity just to be able to prove that hey maybe i can't replace john bowman but i can certainly i can be that guy i can be that next that that's future superstar that will help with the transition of you know life after john bowman with the montreal Alouettes. so that to me like that's one area that i'm definitely interested in seeing or would love to see and unfortunately until we actually get a training camp of some sorts underway like all we can do is just look at this these names on this list and just speculate Exactly, and talking about the season itself, the the league had a had a uh, had a, a virtual town hall with season ticket holders, uh, some Q and A's and stuff like that. Um, he's he's made the the commissioners made the rounds seems to be quite a bit as of late. Um, it 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 looks more. I mean, I think it's it's a almost. I think we talked about this before, and I always said this too. It looks like it will be at least an eight game season. A minimum of an eight-game season. It's just a matter of what they're going to do. Are they going to do hub cities? You know, with the changes to the Great Cup, there isn't technically no. There is not going to be a host this year. It's going to be the team that has the best record. Um, there won't be a a Great Cup uh, festival. Um, you know, everybody's been pushed back. You know, Hamilton will still be in 2022, and Saskatchewan is now going to be in 2023. Uh, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Correction. <laughs> 2021 for Hamilton and 2022 for Saskatchewan. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, there, we don't seem to be any closer to where we are, and 
you know, still a lot of questions when it comes to, well, how much, you know, how much of an issue it is now with this money? Because I know this made, this was a huge thing in local media and national media when it came to this CFL asking for $150 million from the federal government. And I don't want to say it's, it's, they've, he, you know, the, the commissioner's backtracked, but I think it's more, uh, okay, it actually is, he's saying at 150, $150 million at worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot of questions. You know, they, they did something recently. He had an interview recently on Piffles, on the Piffles pod, where he, he would, all those exact same questions were brought up. You know, it's like, do you actually play 2020 and just go forward to 2021? Uh, can you survive? Uh, you know, uh, you know. so it's, it's just a matter of, I think they need to, get, need to get all their, especially if it is money, get together with the PA because we know that there's been a huge issue with that. You need to have the, you need, they need, he needed to have the PA there when he talked to the federal government. Um, and it's just a matter of how will it work, you know, for us as fans, you know, uh, will they, will we be allowed in the stadiums depending on where we are? Will it be a hubs? W- would you before that for a hub city, depending on where it would be? Uh, how do you mean? Well, are you in, in favor of one city hosting or one or two cities hosting sort of similar to what it seems to be that the NHL is going to be doing since they announced they are going to be, they put forth a, a put forth something today as we're taping this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you do two, two close cities for hub cities? Hamilton and Toronto, as an example, it cuts down a hell of a lot on travel. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, it's still it goes to fans and stuff like that. But what are your what are your thoughts on possible hub cities in the CFL? Well, it definitely would be different. I mean, I mean, at that point though, you would have to relegate yourself to the fact that more than likely fans will not be allowed in the stadium at all. Because how do you how do you say yes to certain fans and then no to others? I mean, that's. I, th- I think that's what kind of what it comes down to. But uh, I mean, as far as logistics and trying to cut down on travel, trying to keep the players and the employees and everybody as safe as humanly possible, it's certainly one way to do it. And I, I think if you decide, okay, look, look we're going to play in one city, all nine teams in one city, or split it so that you're in two city, like you know, each di- each division, sort of, so to speak, gets their own sort of their own city to play in and work out of and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to see. I mean, I think fans are so starved for CFL football that they'll agree to just about anything. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it would be definitely weird to see. And, of course, it would be disappointing to to not be able to go to Percival Molson Stadium and watch a football game. But right, right. I think the the desire and, and the need to want to watch football is going to supersede everything else. And... It, I mean, let's face it, like for the most part, we watch half of the games, half of the team games on TV anyways. So, I mean, I guess for one year, if we end up having to watch all 18 games or I'm sorry, not 18 games, but uh, end up having to watch all the games on TV, so be it. That's just unfortunate yeah. that that's the hand we've been dealt and we just have to accept it. It's I guess I'm of the opinion that something is better than nothing. So, I mean, it's if, if you have to do that versus cancel the season entirely and wait till maybe 2021 before you get to see live football again, I, I, I think I'd rather go with the something. I'd rather have yeah. the opportunity to watch some football, even though knowing that, you know, my, te- my team's out there in, you know, Regina, for example, yeah. or out in Hamilton. And that's pretty much where they're based for the 2020 season. So be it. it it's disappointing. It, it definitely won't be the same. We won't quite have that same opportunity to 
talk with the players that we used to, uh, the, that closeness that we have of interacting with them live on game day and and otherwise. But it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's just no other way to describe it, folks. It, it, it is what it is. And I think if you were to ask most people, yeah, they'd be disappointed not being able to go to the games. But just being able to watch football, get have a little semblance of something normal, being able to see something that you truly love, I think most fans will still will they won't be happy one hundred percent, but I think they'll still say yes. I, I would want to do that. I, I I'll I'll take your shortened season. I'll stay at home. I'll cheer for my team on the couch like I'm supposed to be, and hopefully this will not become the new normal. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, as news uh, news is broken, we'll let you guys know. Again, you, again, you can follow us over on our, over on our social media over on Twitter. And that's at Alouette's FL Deck. And also, if you want to listen to any of the past episodes, hey, DJ Lama, last one. Then you, what? What? Anthony Calvillo, before that, hey, if you miss them, you got to listen to them. Multiple places you can do so, either at uh, Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And all, one of the best places, too, is heading over to alouettesflightdeck.ca. Um, it, you know, we... We have a couple of things lined up. We are going to be back. I mean, um, I know a lot of the uh, a lot of the pods in the CFL uh, in the uh, Canadian Football Podcast Network are trying to do as best as possible. Um, but we also, speaking of doing as best as possible in podcasts, uh, we ha- at least have to have to give a a hearty welcome to the Montreal Alouettes who announced this week that they are going to be doing their own official podcast. That's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. The official mm-hmm. podcast of the, of the Montreal Alouettes. That's fine. We have no problem with that. I, I've I always said the more information about our team, the better, right? So it's it hasn't been officially announced when it's going to be launching, but episode one will be including uh, um, Gina Lewis and our our coach Kahari Jones. And look out for uh, Pod Cals. I think it's how they're saying it. P O D C A L S Pod Cals. Uh, That's just how it looks to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just check check uh, check social media for when the first episode comes out. Um, but again, we have, we have a couple of ideas coming up for the next couple of episodes, and uh, we hope you are going to be with us. And uh, I think the main thing is that uh, uh, our hope is that you're healthy and you're safe, and we'll be we'll be together soon enough. It's just a matter of when, right, Cliff? Oh, without question. It's like I said, the, we're still trying to get through this. I, I mean, you take a look at what's going on in the news every day and you, you see like it, it's kind of disheartening to see how when they try to uh, loosen some of the restrictions, people unfortunately just don't quite grasp it. And they kind of, you know, you give them an inch, they take a football field, so to speak. But uh, <laughs> a Canadian football field. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Like, I, I know it's tough. And maybe with some, now with some of these announcements as far as where sports is going, uh, we're starting to get a little bit more word of, as at least as far as a contingency plan goes, if we can get things back to a point where we can get back to live sports in some way, shape, or form. I'm hoping that's enough of inspiration for people to uh, just, you know, keep keep doing what they're doing as far as staying safe, staying healthy, uh, whatever the your government's recommending that you do to help stop the spread of this pandemic, do it. Because Lord knows that's what I've been doing. I know Tim's been doing the same thing. We're just doing everything we can because we want to get back to as close to normal as possible. We want to get back to watching football live. We want to, and even if it's just watching on TV, we want to be able to have football again. And that's 
to me, that's paramount more than anything else. And I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'm sure fans league wide, like nationwide, are in the same boat. Like they just want to see their team go out and play football. If it's half a season, as it's projected to be, it so be it. If it means the Great Cup's going to be played in a different place and there won't be a festival, well, that sucks. But this is again, not, this is an exception rather than the rule. We'll accept it. It's hey, just the way yeah, things are right now. Considering it's very possible we could host. That's true, and I mean that there'd be, that would be quite the interesting thing. It's just that <laughs> okay, it was like again. Can you believe I had my heart set going on to Regina this year in November? But imagine you know a crazy twist of fate. The Alouettes end up hosting the Grey Cup in 2020. How crazy would that be? I know. I know. The only unfortunate part is, would they be able to play it, and would we be able to attend? <laughs> That's that's the other thing to consider. I mean, there's just so much right now. And again, there's like we've gotten a lot of information over the past few days, and there's still so much, like still so many questions left to be answered. And again, we may we may not get an answer until much later on. But uh, yeah, whenever that drop dead date's supposed to be. Yeah, the only thing we do at this point, folks, is just keep positive. We've been inviting some of uh, some players, both past and present, onto the show. We're hopefully going to be able to get them on. Hopefully get word on from the team themselves as far as how they're handling this and the pl- their plans going forward as far as dealing with the possibility of a shortened season or looking forward to next year. I mean, there's, there's definitely more, there's more than enough things to talk about. And Tim and I plan to bring it all to you over the summer because, well, let's face it, like we, we got nothing else going on right now. So nope, nothing at all. Absolutely it, nothing. We, we may as well, chatted up with uh, each other we may as well have a, a chat with some players uh, past and present yeah, just staring and, in the staring in the mirror watching our hair grow yeah yeah i don't i, I don't know about you like you got the quarantine beard down pretty good and i just <laughs> i do not sadly so oh i got too much hair anyways on my head i need i need a shave i need something <laughs> i need something man uh, but we'll be back. So just that's that's it. Uh, stay positive, everybody, uh, and uh, uh, pay attention and watch our social media accounts, and uh, we'll let you know when we'll be back. So, uh, Cliffy, stay safe. It's all ask my friend, and uh, everybody also. We just want you to be safe. So for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. Run final approach. Take- Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.